Now, what is Jesus full of? What, is, what does he look like? He's full of grace and truth. Everybody say it with me, grace and truth. I look at that word full and that word full means full. Means overflowing, up to the brim. He's not a 50-50 grace and truth God. He's not a holy concoction or holy cocktail. He's not a little bit of grace and a little bit of truth. He's fully gracious and he's fully truthful. That's our Jesus. Welcome to the Resurgence Messages Podcast. We gather and minister regularly for the purpose of reaching people, reviving churches, and releasing leaders. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you to arise for the kingdom of God. For more information on the ministry of Resurgence and how you can take part, check out liveresurgence.com. I want to take your attention to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to read about five verses from this chapter. From verse 3 onwards. Now, I want to title my sermon, Chosen. Would you all say that with me, Chosen? Chosen. That was a nice, loud Chosen. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. The purpose of his choosing that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Let me give you a quick background of the book of Ephesians. Apostle Paul, he was in prison, in the Roman prison, and he writes these letters. He wrote to the Philippines and to the Ephesians and, as well, and to a couple of other churches. One is Philemon and then the Philippian church. He wrote, and Colossians as well, he wrote these four letters from the prison. And when he writes to the church in Ephesus, he wants to encourage them, he wants to affirm them, he wants to establish them in the Lord. The reason being, they, the Ephesian believers, they came out of their pagan worship. They had their big pagan temple. They came out of that big temple and their pagan worship and they started going to this small Christian church. And this church was right next to their big old temple. And so when they came out to worship the Lord, you know, they are in that place of losing everything or they, 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 they felt like they lost everything that they had. They lost the community that was so precious to them. 
They also know the pagan forces of, or the evil forces of power, the pagan witchcraft and sorcery. And so they were afraid and unsure. They're thinking, well, how are we going to protect ourselves from this kind of witchcraft and sorcery? And so they were in that place of uncertainty. They were unsure. They, they were feeling insecure. And some of them labeled them as orphans because they came out of their old community and they don't have nobody. They're in the same city, but they don't have nobody. And they have these believers in the new church, but the people that are in the new church, they don't really know them that well. They don't know each other that well. And so, then there were also people from the pagan temple kind of creeping in or kind of trying to spy how the church is going and how these believers are doing. And as a result of it, they felt like they have to be on this defensive mode, trying to protect their church. And so it was a weird situation. And so Paul is now writing to the Ephesian believers, don't worry. You have the power of God. You don't have to worry about the pagan for evil forces. You don't have to worry about sorcery. You don't have to worry about witchcraft. You have the power of God in you. The immeasurable power of God. Two, he says to them, forget, forget about all the things that are happening here on this earthly realm. Look at Jesus and what he has done for you. And then he says, you're not orphans. You are adopted in the family of God. You are chosen. You are chosen people. God chose you. Now with that context, let's come to these verses. He says, Blessed be, Paul says, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him. Now, it is important for us to understand the difference between choosing and calling. Calling is when somebody calls you, you know, a phone call comes and somebody calls you. And when you answer that phone call, that's choosing, right? The call of salvation is ringing and that call is for everybody. When we answer that call, that is choosing that we have chosen or God chose us that we have responded to his call and now we are part of the chosen league. Are you all okay so far? All right. So he chose us in him, in Christ Jesus. When was this choosing? He chose us before the foundation of the world. Now let me give you a quick story. I came to Canada in 2004. And I landed in Toronto. I didn't know many people, and I, before coming to Canada, I was an itinerant minister, you know, traveling uh, and preaching the word of God in many parts of Kerala and also India. And then when I came to Toronto, some of my friends said, well, you know some people, why don't you call them and ask them if they have any opportunity there in their churches? And so something about me is that I don't like asking anybody anything, for anything. I don't like calling people for opportunity. I don't do cold calls. I don't pass my business cards around. Business card around. That's not me. I, I, I'm not that person. 
And so when some of my friends said, well, why don't you call? I said, no, I, I don't want to do that. But then eventually, one of my friends who was in Toronto at that time, he pastored a small church, and he used to go to the same church that I was uh, going to back in India. And so I called, the, called my friend and said to him, hey, I'm in Toronto. I didn't even ask him for any opportunity, but he immediately said, well, we have a Friday night gathering. Why don't you come and speak in our Friday night gathering? So, you know, that's really what I wanted. I, I mean, of course, I want to connect with him, but I also, you know, want an opportunity to speak. And so, you know, he invited me to his church, and I went and I spoke, and God did something so beautiful. And at that time, like I said, about 20-some people, and today that church is, what, about 200, 250 people. And... Um, so after that meeting, my friend, his name is Saji, he called, he called a few of his friends and a few of the pastors in the city and asked them, hey, would you give Dino a chance to come and speak in your church? It will be a blessing to you. We had a powerful move of the Holy Spirit, so why don't you invite him? And now he's calling people on behalf of me, and he's saying that I am his friend. It's always a good thing when somebody says that, you know, you are his friend, you are their friend. And so I'm not now saying he's my friend. He's not saying I am his friend. And so for about a month or so, I had so many meetings there in Toronto, and that was a great blessing. That was a beautiful time in Toronto. But here's the thing. In 2010, I went to Houston, United States, in the United States of America. And so while I was there, one of my friends, so my mom's cousin, he runs a church there, and that church probably had about 200-some people there. And so because of the relationship, because of, my, because of my family connection, he invited me to come to his church. And so I went to his church, and he told me over the phone that I got about half an hour to speak. And so just before I went up to speak, he whispered in my ears, you know what, you got 10 minutes to speak. And I was kind of like thinking, thinking what's, what's happening? Why is that? Why is that change? Um, and so, you know, when somebody gives you half an hour and then in the last minute changes the time, you're trying to figure out what part of the sermon are you going to speak. And so I went up, I spoke for about 10 minutes or so, um, and then there was another pastor, and he gave that pastor a longer time and, of course, treated him so well. And, <laughs> and then after the service, you know, we all went out to eat and the other pastor left. And the pastor of the church, my relative, took me to his house. And when I got to, the, got, to, got to his house, he just took off. He disappeared. He just went to his room, his wife in his room, uh, their room, and his kids did not even say hello. And I'm sitting there in their living room watching TV for about two hours. No, nobody's saying hello, nothing. Right? I'm kind of thinking, my goodness, why, why, why are they treating me like that? And then after two hours, I said to them, hey, will you drop me to a coffee shop or something like that? And he said, yeah, for sure. And he's now taking me. Uh, he said he will drop me to my place, but he's taking me to a coffee shop. And then my cousin came and picked me up. But then later, I understood that the reason why he treated me the way he treated me is because I'm not from the same denomination that he was from. I'm from a different denomination. 
And because our denominations were different from back in, back in India, he kind of thought, well, the other pastor, he thought the other pastor is from the same denomination, so he should get more time, and I should not, and I should be treated the way that mistreatment, right? And the reason why I said all of that is to say this. It is important who chooses, for us to know who chooses who. This verse says, God chose us. And so when you read John chapter 15, John's gospel chapter 15, it says, Jesus says to the disciples, you did not choose me, I chose you. In other words, when you know that I chose you, you can be confident in that relationship. You can be confident and you can have, that, you can have security in that relationship. You don't have to feel insecure. Are you, are, 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 are you with me? And so Jesus, say, uh, Jesus says to his, his disciples, you are my friends. I ordained you. I called you. And I chose you. And because I chose you, I'm not going to leave you and you don't have to strive. And the choosing is from before the foundation of the world. And Paul explains it here in Ephesians. And that means that before you and I got, a, got, got, got an opportunity to do a single thing, before you and I were born into this earth, God already called us. Right? Before our mommy and daddy got together. Before we were named. Before our grandpa and grandma knew each other. God saw us and he called us. So he didn't choose us because of our merits. He didn't choose us because of our skills. He chose us because of his grace and because of his love. Right? He chose us knowing what he can do through us. The thing about God is God is eternal. That means in eternity there is no time. Time is a blip in eternity. This whole time has already finished in God's mind. And so in other words, in the mind of God, even our funeral is already done. In the mind of God, this world, he has already seen the very end. And knowing the end and how it's going to be, he still chose us at the beginning. In other words, we don't have to strive. He chose us because he just loves us. Are you, are, are you with me so far? All right. So he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. And he adopted us. So he's telling Paul is now telling the Ephesian believers, you are chosen, you are not orphans. You are adopted into the family of God. And you are chosen in the family of God because of God's grace. And you are, ble you are blessed. Now, the purpose for the calling is that we will become a display of his grace. The people will look at us and see God working in our lives. People will look at us and say, well, you know, my, my, my friends, when they, friends who went, you know, to school with me when I was 16 and 17, they know, they fully knows, like, what I was up to. And they will say, it is God's grace that he's standing and preaching the word of God. He's, it's God's grace that he's now leading a church. <laughs> 
And, and so, you know, I had a moment of chuckle there. But <laughs> so when people look at, look at our lives, they will witness what God is doing through us. And, and, and they will witness God's grace. Now, I want to say one more thing about God's choosing. One, to be a display of God's grace. Two, the reason why he chose us is because God wants us to be like his son, Jesus Christ. Where, do I, where did I get that from? Romans 8 says, or in Romans 12, in fact, it says, be not transformed or conformed to the world, but be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of the word of God. And two, it goes on to say in verse 29, transformed or conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Right? Do not be conformed to the world, but then be transformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So the calling and the choosing is for us to look like his son, Jesus. That's why we are called. Now the question is, how does Jesus look? What does he look like? What does he look like? Now let's go to John's gospel. Are you all there? Can I just, you know, So John's gospel, chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 14, it says, then the word, or God, took flesh. In other words, eternal, infinite God wrapped himself in flesh and came down to this earth. Now let's read from verse 14 onwards. How did Jesus look? When, when Jesus was here on this earth, how did he look like? And the word became flesh and, flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, now full of grace, and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Do you see that? From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. That, that phrase there, it means waves of grace. Grace one after the other. So, for from him we received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now, what is Jesus full of? What, is, what does he look like? He's full of grace and truth. Everybody say it with me, grace and truth. I look at that word full, and that word full means full. means overflowing, up to the brim. He's not a 50-50 grace and truth God. He's not a holy concoction or holy cocktail. He's not a little bit of grace and a little bit of truth. He's fully gracious, and he's fully truthful. That's our Jesus. And now when you read John's gospel, John expounds that. John expounds how grace and truth looks like in Jesus' relationship. Now I want you to understand something. This new identity of being chosen, being adopted, being the beloved of God, and, and, and this 
truth about grace and truth. It's so important for us because it affects our relationship with God and it affects our relationship with people. And now let's look at how Jesus showed this in his interaction. Now let's come to John's Gospel chapter 4. And when you come to John's Gospel chapter 4, you find that Jesus is now going a roundabout way. He could have directly gone to Galilee, but instead of going directly to Galilee, he goes via Samaria. He went via Samaria because he wanted to meet with this woman in Samaria. We all know the story, the woman at the well. And this woman comes at midday. Jesus is now already waiting for this woman to come. And he knew fully well that this woman is going to be there at the well. And so he, he waits for her to come. Now something that I want you to understand here about midday is that people did not come at midday to draw water. Usually people will go in the morning to draw water or in the cool of the evening to draw water. But here this woman come at midday because she's got a messy affair, got a messy situation. She didn't want to deal with people. She didn't want to answer to people for all their questions. She didn't want to interact and deal with all of that stuff. So she decided to come at midday because nobody will be at the well at midday. So she wanted to avoid everybody. Have you ever been in that place where, you know what, you don't want to answer anybody. You don't want to answer to everybody's questions. Have you ever been in that kind of a place? Right? You go to church and people have 100 questions. Right after the service, you just want to take off and disappear. Come on. Right. And so this woman is in the same situation. She didn't want to talk to nobody. And so Jesus, knowing that she's coming, is waiting for her. Isn't it wonderful about our Jesus? He values every single person. A savior who waits for people, a savior who seeks and searches people, a savior who loves people so much that he will go out of his way in search for them. And so now Jesus coming via Samaria and waiting for her to come. See, all of the highfalutin women and all of the stuck up and everybody else, you know, got a status and position in the community, they will come during the day. That's the, you know, well is a meeting place. Well is a place where people want to meet and greet and mingle and get to know each other, do their business and affairs. That's, that's the well. And well is where they want to show off. But this woman come at midday because she's got nothing to show off. And we know her situation. She was married to five men. And now the man that she's living with is not her husband. Now watch this. Jesus talks to her and, she, and he asks her, Can I have some water? And this is her reply. She said, well, you are a rabbi, you are a Jew, I see that, I, I see that in the robe that you're wearing, I see the way you talk, I see that, you and I, we don't talk, I'm a, I'm a Gentile, you are a Jew, we don't talk, our denomination is different. <laughs> and so, she says, why are you asking me for water? Because usually, Jews and Gentiles, they don't talk to each other. And, and Jesus then replies back to her, if you know who is talking to you, you will ask him of water. And I will give you living water. And here's a reply. She says, well, I, I don't see you with any kind of container. I don't, I don't, you, 
You don't have anything to dispense the water. Are you, are, you, are, you, are you with me so far? And so watch this. He says to her, I will give you living water. And so to that, she replied, well, if you have the living water, then I want that living water. And here's what Jesus said to her, well, go get your husband. And there's something missing here. Your husband is not with you. Go get your husband. And she said, well, I don't have a husband. And look at Jesus' reply. Jesus says, well, you are right. You had five husbands. You had five men in your life, but the one that you're living with right now is not your husband. There's something interesting there because, in other words, you went to all these five wells, but these five wells could not quench your thirst. These five wells could not satiate what you were looking for. I don't know what happened there. I don't know. We don't know all the things. Sometimes we portray her as an immoral woman. Maybe she was not an immoral woman. She was a victim of circumstances. Who knows? But whatever it is, all of those five wells could not satiate her. And now Jesus says to her, you're right. You had five men. You tried five times. But the man that you're living with right now is not your husband. Can you imagine that conversation? Can you picture being, or being, you know, being there at the well, watching them talk? Can you see her face blush? It's not, it's not a pretty conversation. And then she goes and, 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 and carries on this conversation. She, she carries on this conversation with Jesus. And Jesus, you know, starts this new journey with her. I want you to hear me something. I want, I want you to know something here. In other words, when Jesus spoke about her five husbands and the one that she's living with right now is not her husband, you know what it is? Jesus is telling her the truth. You don't have to hide anything. You don't have to you know, be discreet about what's happening in your life. You can be honest with me. You can be truthful about your situation with me. And then he, he says, I'll still give you water that quenches your thirst. And look what happens. She goes back to Samaria and tells everybody, the whole city, that I met a man who knows all about me. Come, the Messiah is here. Come meet him. Right? And she brings the whole city to him. And the city now says, well, we have, we have, we have, we heard your testimony, but we have now experienced him for ourselves. That's powerful. Here's two things that happens in that conversation between the Samaritan woman and Jesus. One, Jesus, knowing her situation, you know, gave, one, he revealed the truth, and two, he still gave her the living water. He gave her grace. See, the thing about grace is this. Grace is uninterrupted, unbroken love of God towards us. That's grace. Grace is receiving what we don't deserve. That's grace. Grace provides safety. 
Grace, grace provides acceptance and forgiveness. But the, but the reality is this. Yes, when grace gives us safety, if we are hiding some stuff in our lives, we still have to be the fake self rather than the real self. And so now that Jesus had told her about her truth, she doesn't have to pretend or need to, need, need, need to fake things before him. Are you, are you, are you with me? Yes. See, see, that's why it is so important for us to know who chose who. Because we've all been in relationships where we chose them, but they didn't choose us. Well, you all know. Have, have you been in a relationship where you chose them, but they didn't choose you? And when they didn't choose, when they have not chosen us, then we have to strive and we have to try and, and we have to fake it. And, you know, oh, they like my hair this way. They, I, I got to be in this size. Ah. We, we're trying to make them happy and we're trying to get their acceptance and approval. So it's important who chose for us to know who chose who. And so there's grace, and now there is truth. And the truth tells her, you don't have to fake it, you don't have to try it. I chose you so that you can be honest with yourself and you can be honest before me. I heard one person clap hands, and if you want to clap hands, more people, it's fine. I'm, I'm fine with it. <laughs> and the second story that I want to quickly bring before you is John chapter 8. And the gospel of John chapter 8 Again, there's another interaction with a woman. Jesus is dealing with this woman who was caught in adultery. And now the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious folks, they bring this woman to Jesus and throw it at his feet. And this is what they said, well, we caught her in the act of adultery. Now, my, my question is this, where are the men? They only brought the woman, but they didn't bring the... And the Bible says very clearly, they caught her in the act. So what were these religious folks doing to catch? <laughs> these creeps were... No, I'm just showing <laughs> They were waiting outside or whatever it was. They... They caught her and now they bring her to Jesus and threw him, threw her to his feet or at his feet. Now, get this. The comment to Jesus is this Moses' law commands us to throw stones at her and kill her. But what do you say? But what do you say? In other words, we have Moses' law. But we are putting you in a place where we feel like you have a better position than Moses. But that was a trap. The Bible says very clearly that was a trap. It was a gotcha moment. And, and so, if Jesus said, stone her and kill her, then it will be Breaking the Roman law because the Roman law does not allow anyone to take law into their hands and kill anybody without a proper trial. Are you getting what I'm saying? And so he would be breaching 
the Roman law. But if he, say, if he says to them, do not throw stones at her, then he is violating the Moses' law, the, the Old Testament law. And then the Jewish people, then they will have something against him. So this is a gotcha moment. And so instead of responding or replying back to the religious leaders, he bends down and he begins to write on the ground. And here's the thing. People, there, there, there are doctoral dissertation written about what Jesus wrote. He wrote the names of the people that came with the stone. He wrote the Lord down. Do you want to know what he wrote? I don't know. <laughs> we, we don't know what he wrote. But he bends down and he begins to write on the ground. And as he begins to begin to write on the ground, all of a sudden, the people who came to throw stones at her, one by one, they began to depart, they began to go back, or they, they, they began to leave. No. He gets up, he looks around, many left, and there are a few more, and he goes to the accusers of this woman. Whoever, whichever one of you, who have not committed a sin, go ahead and throw stone or throw stones at her. That's interesting. Because they, these religious leaders, placed a gotcha question before Jesus, and Jesus is now placing a gotcha question before them. Because, because if the Jewish leaders, if they say that we have, we have not sinned, or if they pick up the stone, then they are saying they have not sinned, and if they say that they have not sinned, then they are, they are violating the Old Testament because we know from the Old Testament that only God is sinless. So in other words, they are blaspheming the Old Testament, they're blaspheming God, and they're blaspheming and placing themselves into the God category, that God class. That they are in their place to dispense justice. And if they pick up the stones... And then they, then they are lying before the whole congregation, before the whole crowd that gathered there. And so, one by one, they left. And the next time, the Bible says, when Jesus got up, she, he asked her, where are you, woman? Where are your accusers? They are gone, and Jesus replies back to her, well, I do not condemn you. I do not condemn you. Condemn you but sin no more. Worship team, why don't you come forward? Jesus knelt down and he began to write on the ground. And the Bible says very clearly with his finger. We don't know what he wrote. And I used to say in the past, you wrote on the dusty grounds of, ground of Palestine. That's what I used to say. But then when I studied a little bit about the temple that he was at when he was teaching the disciples and, and the people who gathered together, I understood that the courts of the temple is made of stone pavement, stone pavement. And he wrote on the stone pavement with his finger. In other words, the same finger that wrote the Old Testament law on those stony tablets is now writing another law 
on the stony pavement. This time it is not the Ten Commandments, this time it is not the Old Testament law, this time he's writing a new law, the law of grace and truth. Would you all stand up with me? This is what grace does. Grace shows the love, the love of God. But truth shines the light of God. Grace embraces people, but truth gives direction. He said to the woman, I know your story, I, I, but I give you grace. I embrace you. I do not condemn you. But he also gives a direction. Sin no more. Now live your life as the one who is accepted by God. In these two cases, what we find is a sin issue. And the truth is that no one is perfect and all of us will, all of us will deal with sin at some point in our lives. If anyone says that there's no sin in them and they're perfect and everything is good with them, let me just tell you this, they are lying. The moment that we are sin, the moment we become sinless, we are in heaven. While on this earth, we are being perfected every day. While on this earth, we are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ every day. We've not achieved it yet and we won't achieve it until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's what I want you to know. We all will, at some point in our lives, will struggle with something. But don't let the devil convince us or the, don't let the devil tell us that we are beyond repair. But don't let the, de don't let the devil tell us that we are disqualified and God, can, God cannot ever use us. God can use us. His grace is available. Both of these ladies, they were dealing with the sin issue and of course, with, with, with their bodies, with flesh. Sin of sexual nature. And there's another passage that comes to mind and that is in Corinthians and Paul says, I have a thorn in my flesh. And now again, scholars and theologians, they tried hard to, hard to find out what that thorn is. The answer is we don't know what that thorn was. We don't know. But Paul did struggle with a thorn in his flesh. And he prayed three times. And this is what God said to Paul. My grace is sufficient. In other words, my grace can handle your thorn. My grace can handle your mistakes. My grace can handle your mess. My grace can handle it. And tonight, I don't know what you are dealing with. But I want you to know that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is available. If you don't know where you are with him tonight, and if you want to recommit your life, come forward. Now, if you want to renew, if you want to renew, 
your commitment before him and and want to ask him god give me grace to keep going forward i feel like i'm in a dead end i feel like i can't go forward anymore i want your grace if that to you come forward we're going to pray you know for the team will come forward as well the team uh, prayer team why don't you come as well well, there is power when we pray together and i believe the grace of the lord jesus christ is here and he will release that grace upon you the biggest crime in christianity is not that we sin the biggest crime in christianity is when we don't accept his forgiveness and his grace And we are the family of God as, as different denominations, different churches, whatever it might be. We are, we are the family of God. And in family, there is openness, there's transparency, there's realness. We don't have to bring a fake self. And we can ask each other for prayer. So tonight, as the worship team, worship team leads us in the next song, I'm going to invite you to come forward and we'll, and, and we'll pray together. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. We hope that you were blessed. For more information about Resurgence, including how you can take part of this great movement, visit www dot live resurgence dot com